Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Oh, man, so good to see you guys. Hey, I got to eat a little bit of crow. You know, when you, when you talk trash publicly, you got to own up publicly to what happened. And I was talking a lot of trash about the Seahawks, talking a lot of trash. And then, you know, the Seahawks cousin, the Eagles, they came in and swooped down and took off the Niners, you know, ripped them apart. And uh, luckily I was at lunch. I didn't watch the game. So for those that were texting me, you know, gloating and all that, I, I didn't even notice. Um, I, just so above it all. But um, got to eat some crow. And uh, aren't you glad that we don't base our life and our hope and happiness upon what our football teams do, especially if you're a 49ers fan, you know, because of the, the broken hearts and us Duck fans, you know, with our our uh, zero national championships, you know, to match our, our logo. But I'm believing that, uh, that God will come through for the ducks, you know, and, and we will prevail over our enemies in the coming seasons. Man, so good to be with you guys today. My, uh, my heart and prayer for everyone here today is that however you walked in, uh, whether everything in life is good, uh, whether everything in life is bad or somewhere in between, that you would leave encouraged, refreshed, refilled, filled with the presence of God. What a beautiful time together in worship. You know, worship doesn't stop when the singing ends, when the music stops. Um, you're like, are you going to sing a song? No, I'm not going to sing a song. We're going to go into the Word. But worship is something that carries on through the rest of our service as we engage in hearing God's Word. We can worship God with how we receive and respond to His Word. And we also worship God in our love for one another, our service to one another. And then the worship service extends out into the week as we live our lives to the glory of God. Amen? You know, whether you are a preacher, whether you are a plumber, whether you are a muffin maker, or you just have a muffin top like me, whatever it is, uh, you can live your life and do what you do to the glory of God. Amen? It's an act of worship. In this series, we are, uh, the series is called Rocket Fuel. We're talking about our lives being filled and fueled with the presence of God. And we're talking about how we access God in relationship through spiritual disciplines and practices like prayer, Bible reading, fasting, meditation, whatever the particular ways that we're accessing God. But one of the things that I want to be, uh, that I think is important to say and to lay that foundation is that God is much more interested in a relationship with you and I than we could ever be with him. And that is clearly seen in the cross where Jesus hangs between heaven and earth as a demonstration that God wanted a relationship with you. He wanted to restore that intimacy, that relationship, and he made a way for us to connect to him and so as much as we strive or pursue or chase after God, as, mu as much discipline as we have to pray, read our Bibles and, and all of that, it pales in comparison to what God has done in Christ reaching out to us. Amen? And I think that frames it in a good way because as Americans, we love to learn what we're supposed to do. Um, I love YouTube. I even pay a little bit more to get the ads away on YouTube so I can consume more YouTube, you know. And I love how-to videos and tutorials. I love to go on Google and say, how do you do this thing? And the, some of the, my favorite articles are the ones that are like, one, two, three, four. These are the steps. This is what you need to do to get that result that you want. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And what we've often done, I think we can, we can fall into this trap as Christians in America in this very affluent era and time, is we turn our relationship with God into a WikiHow article how do I access God? What are the steps that I need to take? If I pray this prayer, if I come to church, is it three times a month? No, it's four times a month for sure, right? Whatever it is, we, we make something about doing. And really, when you read the Bible, what you find is it's a lot more about being. It's a lot more about trusting. It's a lot more about being good soil, that we are the recipient. In many cases, we are passively receiving and accepting what God has done and what God is doing. And it's not so much about what we're doing. 
Our faith, even intellectually, is inverted to what most religions and philosophies and ideologies in the world are. You see, most man-made religions make sense, and this is how they go. If you come to the bottom of this ladder and you want to get to God, if you take these particular steps and you climb these rungs, one, two, three, four, then maybe you can make yourself worthy. Maybe you can make yourself good enough and you can get to your deity. You can get to nirvana. You can get to heaven. You can get to hope, right? But the Christian faith turns that all on its ear because it's not the story of us climbing our way to God. It's the story of God climbing down that ladder in the person of Jesus Christ, putting his hand down into the mud and saying, I got you. I'm rescuing you. I don't know if you saw on the news this week, but up in um, Astoria, which we were just up there uh, recently at the Goonies house. Come on, Goonies. Where are the Goonies at? Let's go. I love that story when Chunk is like saying, oh, and then I was in the movie theater and, uh, and I went, you know, it's so good. Some of you are so confused. Anyways, there was a story on the news this week where this guy from Canada, it's always Canadians, you know. They're just a little crazy up there in the cold, you know, and they're in their glues and stuff. But this guy from Canada is kind of on the run from the law, and he comes down, and he's in Oregon, and, and uh, he ends up putting a dead fish on the porch of the Goonies house. Did you see this in the news? Okay, I know it's weird, bizarre. Everything I'm saying is true. Puts a dead fish on the Goonies house porch. And uh, then he's trying to, I think he put some stickers on the security cameras there, so I don't, he was up to nefarious purposes. He goes into the town. He steals a $160,000 yacht or boat. He takes it out of the Columbia um, River, which apparently is the most dangerous bar ever, you know, in the world. And he gets it out there, and there's these massive swells. And so the Coast Guard has to go rescue him. And, I mean, Coast Guard, they're cool. We don't talk about the Coast Guard enough. They're the Chuck Norris of the, you know, service, services, right? Like, they're pretty awesome. Um, Coast Guard's a cool name, too. Maybe I'll join the Coast Guard at some point. Probably not. A Coast Guard rescue swimmer jumps out of his boat and goes and swims and saves the guy right before the boat gets capsized. But then the guy checked himself into the hospital under a fake name, and so they let him go because they didn't know that he was this guy that was on the run from the law. So if you see a man carrying a dead fish who doesn't like the Goonies, please call your local law enforcement. Why was I talking about that? Anybody? I don't know. It's a good story rescue. God came to get us. He jumped in the water. He swam like a Coast Guard swimmer. He made his way to us, though we did not deserve it. Though in our sin, we had placed a dead fish on the Goonies house. God is more interested in a relationship with us than we could ever be with him. And as we've been talking over the past few weeks, we've been looking into this idea of hearing the voice of God, being in fellowship and connection with God, Um, we talked about the idea that God is more interested in relationship with us than we are with him. And our side of things is often based on wanting to get the answers to the test that we're currently taking. Wanting to have God tell us, go left, go right, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. And God's aims are very different. He is a father. He is raising us as sons and daughters. He wants to instill in us Christ-like character that we could do his will, not because he gave us the answer and told us what to do at every moment, but because we are like him. It's a very big difference. I grew up in church and grew up as a pastor's kid, and I would hear all these stories of people that had this relationship with God that to me seemed something to aspire to. It was like they had this red telephone next to their their bed or whatever, and they could dial a 1-800-GOD. Hey, is this God? Yes. 
you know, what would thouest want? And they'd ask him a question and he'd say, yea, verily, thouest shalt go forth. And, you know, and he speaks like a knight because that's, we know God speaks like that, right? And they'd have this conversational relationship with God. It seemed like they could just hear God's voice and he would tell them exactly what to do. And I would live in fear of, number one, that I was defective because I wasn't experiencing that in the way that I thought they were. The other thing that I was afraid of is missing God. In other words, kind of by accident, you're driving down the freeway of life and you were supposed to get off on a particular exit, exit, but you missed it, and then God's kind of laughing at you, <laughs> you know, because you screwed up, and, and you missed him by accident. Now, I don't know if that speaks to anybody else, but just being real, I have lived, at least in some level, of fear of either missing God, or feeling like, as a Christian, I'm not good enough, or I don't know what to do, I don't know the steps uh, in order to hear God's voice. But like many things, it's not an issue of me needing to change or do something, it's an issue of me needing to believe the right things, and actually trust what God says in his word. And what Jesus said in second, or what uh, Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.7 under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was God has not given us a spirit of fear. That fear that you feel or that fear of missing God or that fear that he's not good, that's not from him. Rather, what he's given us is a, a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. In the Greek language, that sound mind word could be translated a mind like a steel trap. It's sound. It works. It's focused. It's not beset by anxiety and confusion and all of thing, those things. That's not from God. Last week we learned three things. We learned that because God loves us, he guides us. God is not capricious. He doesn't change. He's not, he's not trying to trick you. He will guide you. He wants to show you the right way to go. And the reason why is because his character is good. Many times when we're saying, I don't hear God, what's, what, what's there is a little bit of an accusation against the character of God. And I would propose that we get rid of that accusation and begin to trust in the goodness of God, begin to trust in the faithfulness of God, that if we aren't perceiving his voice, that doesn't mean he's not good. If we, he didn't give us the answer that we sought in the way that we sought, in the timing we sought, it's perhaps another reason and a good reason that he has rather than that he's ignoring us or we're not worthy or whatever. Because God loves me, he guides me. Number two, we don't miss God on accident, only on purpose. So the idea that I've had is that, you know, you're driving down the freeway of life, you miss the exit. Oops, no. What happens is it's when we're in pride. It's when we're in willful sin. It's when we are in, I've already made up my mind, this is what I'm going to do, and I want God to rubber stamp what I'm going to do. So God, could you tell me what I'm going to do that I've determined to do that I definitely do, whether, regardless of what you say, is good. And then we go, I don't hear God. It's a mystery, Richard. Some of you get that movie reference. But anyways, it's Tommy Boy. Come on. All right. I do not recommend that movie from the pulpit. Citizen Jake. <laughs> Citizen Jake on Monday will recommend that movie. Pastor Jake on Sunday does not recommend Tommy Boy. I may have seen it a few hundred times. Okay. It's not a mystery. We don't miss God on accident. We miss him on purpose. And I know we don't like to admit that, but that's true. Number three, God's primary goal, and I mentioned this before, is to form Christ-like character in us, not give us directions, commandments, instructions, the answers to the test. He is most interested in an ongoing conversational relationship with us so we become more like Jesus. And here's why. God wants sons and daughters, not obedient robots. Come on, somebody. Do you ever wish that we had Christian Tourette's? You know, it's just like somebody comes up and they're like, hey, why does a loving God allow evil? And you're like, Holy Spirit, come on. And all of a sudden we just, we have the answers and God sort of possesses us and we float up into the sky and we can, you know, we kind of 
are able to go into God mode. That's not how it works. How many of you that are filled with the Holy Spirit know you still have to do stuff? It's crazy, but every morning when I wake up, the Holy Spirit doesn't read my Bible. I do. Well, you know, the Holy Spirit is enabling you. Absolutely, he's filling me, he's using me. When I preach this message, I hope the Holy Spirit is speaking through me. I hope he's speaking, but you know what? Jake Schmelzer had to get up today, put on some nice skinny jeans, shave, and show up here and do this. Come on, somebody. The Holy Spirit didn't drive your car here. You had to come. You had to obey God. You had to do it. And so God is wanting to form in you character. He's wanting to develop you as a son and a daughter that you would do what God wants, but you would do it out of your own volition and free will. Why? Because he has put you on planet earth to be the rightful uh, sovereign of this planet. That was the original intent. Not that people would just show up and be a robot. He wants to raise you as a son and a daughter that does the right things, carries his heart, carries his will, because that's who you are and that's what you want. So in light of that, we're talking about hearing his voice. Today I want to share about how to hear the shepherd's voice. And again, I'm not going to give you steps one, two, three. Here's how to do it. You pray for 15 minutes, you do the hokey dokey, you turn yourself about, and then God speaks. Because God is an vending machine. I think we need to beware because culturally we do like, we like that model. You know, I do. I really like it. I love clear, practical, this is what you do. But unfortunately, a lot of the Bible is not leading us to here's exactly what you do and then God will do it this way. What a lot of it is, is this is the kind of character you need to have. This is the type of waiting in your spirit and things like patience, wait upon the Lord. That is something that you do, but there's a lot of space between waiting and hearing, waiting and seeing. You know, sometimes when we pray, we pray and the answer isn't immediately apparent. And yet we're told to continue to pray, to continue to ask, to seek, to knock. And so much of the Bible is about being, not doing. There's a lot of doing there, but a lot of it's about being. And we're going to look at that today. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And this is one of those areas where I want to pause for one second. And I want us to look at the scripture because often what we do is we translate scripture in our head without even thinking about it and we, let, we, we start to make it say something it does not say. What this scripture says is not my sheep have the ability to hear my voice if they do one, two, three, four, five, six. It doesn't say that. There's not a condition here. What we see is that the condition is if you are a sheep, then you do hear his voice. It's about proximity, not ability. Let me say that again. This is about proximity, not ability. So many of the wonderful truths of Scripture and, and living a life with God and walking with Jesus are not about ability, some deep mystery of understanding and pulling apart the Greek translation and parsing verbs and peering into the mystical obscura. That's not really what most of the deep truths of Scripture are about. They're about will you continue to stay close to Christ and let him continue to work in you and on you and through you. And what Jesus says is, first of all, you're a sheep, which isn't super flattering. I know most of us aren't um, shepherds. I don't, maybe somebody here owns some sheep, but I don't. We have a new dog. She feels like a sheep. That's about the closest we can get. But um, sheep are not like the noblest of animals. You know, you, you don't really see a mascot. I mean, I know we're ducks, but ducks are kind of cool. But, you know, sheep, nobody picks a sheep. If they even are going to pick a sheep, they do the rams. 
you know, or the mountain goats or something. That's even cooler because they can balance on. But nobody goes, hey, we're the mighty sheep. <laughs> I don't know if a sheep has ever killed someone. Probably not on purpose. <laughs> I'll tell you the experience I've had with sheep. One day, Bethany and I were out in Harrisburg at our friend Larry and Katrina Dean's house, and we're drinking some coffee there, and we look out the window, and we both saw this sheep fell down a mountain. And we were like, you see that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, he's, he's going to be fine. He'll be fine. No, he's, he's, he's going in the, the pot, you know, for stew or something. But sheep aren't smart. They're not, they're not cool. They don't, they don't, they're not fierce. You know, they're not bad to the bone. They're, they're not. They're just sheep. Thank you for laughing. <laughs> I was talking about this with uh, Jeff Andreessen after first service, you know, in life, I would rather be a lion. Lions are cool. Did you see that picture on social media of that lion that was going to kill that guy? And he took a picture, but he got away, obviously, because the picture came out. <laughs> Lions are fierce. They're ferocious. They're cool. And Jesus gets to be the lion. He's the lion of Judah. We're like, yeah. And then he's like, you get to be a sheep. It's like Batman being like, you're not Batman. You're Robin. You know? No, 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 no. You know, Batman. I want to be Batman. No, you're Robin. Put your tights on. You know, just... <laughs> We want to be the lion, but listen, a lion has to go get its own food. A lion has to go take care of itself and protect itself and do all this kind of thing. And so there is a benefit of being a sheep. A sheep is under the protection of a shepherd. Sheep are under the provision of the shepherd. Sheep are under the observation of the shepherd. And the shepherd is invested in their sheep. And if they'll stay close to the shepherd in the flock, they hear the voice of their shepherd. And Jesus says, this isn't something you have to do. This is about who you are. And so maybe hearing God isn't about what we do. Maybe it's about realizing I am a sheep and I accept that with all the good and the bad. But because I am a sheep in the flock of Jesus Christ, I can hear his voice. He is speaking. This is birthright. This is being. It's not doing. Totally different thing. Faith opens us up to accept things that are real, even apart from our feelings. I mean, a lot of days I don't feel like a Christian. How many of you are like, every day I just... I struggle with that, you know? Every time I drive, I fight to be a Christian, you know, struggle. I struggle to, to feel God's love. I struggle to feel that the Holy Spirit is empowering me to be bold, to be a witness. But feelings and faith aren't the same thing. By faith, I choose to believe what the Scripture says, that by the Spirit of God, I can be a witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the outermost parts of the world. I can be a disciple of Jesus and I can teach people and I can lead people and I can be who God's called me to be and I can overcome my insecurities and my Enneagram number and my Myers-Briggs personality type and rise up and make a difference as a kingdom ambassador in the world around me, not because I feel like it, because by faith I tap into something that is real apart from my feelings. I tap into that supernatural reality of what God is doing in Christ and he's doing in me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. A relationship with God opens us up to hear his voice and receive his guidance. Let's keep talking about sheep today. It's all about sheep. It's sheep all the way down. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, or as it says in other translations, the valley of the shadow of death. I will not be afraid. 
For you are close beside me, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. What does this scripture tell us? And what does it talk about? Why are we talking about this scripture and hearing the shepherd's voice in the context of hearing God being guided? Number one, we see here in the scripture that the Lord is my shepherd. What this means is that you're not the lion. You're not the one out on the hunt there to provide for your own needs, there to guard yourself, there to take care of everything. You have a shepherd who is watching over you. It means God, the shepherd, is in control. He is on duty. He's not asleep at the switch. This is hard for us to to receive sometimes, isn't it? Because the world is kind of a scary place. I don't know about you, but I was kind of weirded out this week when there was like a spy balloon flying over our country. And I'm like, what is going on? People are like, yeah, I saw it up in the sky, you know, and we're like, then we shoot it down after it gets across the country, and I'm sure they didn't get anything from it. No, they didn't get anything. But it's just weird. I'm, you know, it's just, it, it kind of weirded me out a little bit. Anybody else know about this? I, I, I to- told First Service, hey, don't worry. That was actually my kids. We're a homeschool family. We actually did a weather experiment. It just got away from us, and it was all good. But, but actually, this, this week, I was kind of like, man, this is kind of weird. What's going on? And you know what? What I had to remember this week? Well, hold on a second. If I was a lion, I need to really worry about a balloon. Um, but I'm a sheep. And there's a shepherd, and he's going, I got gotcha. you. I'm in control. I'm watching over you. Your, your days, your seasons, your times are in my hand. God's not asleep at the switch. You know, a lot of our founding fathers were deists. Um, there are people, and I love history and church history, and I know America was founded on a lot of Judeo-Christian principles, but... If anybody tells you, like, all of our founding fathers were Christians, they're just historically inaccurate. In fact, a lot of them weren't. They were deists. Um, Thomas Jefferson was a deist. Uh, What that means is they believed in God, an intelligent designer that created the world, but they didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in the supernatural realm. They thought God had basically created the world like a clock or a watch, and he wound it up, and he just let it run its course, and he doesn't get involved. He doesn't interfere. Um, that's deism, okay? So Thomas Jefferson had a Bible, and he, he loved the teachings of Jesus, but he cut out all the parts that talked about miracles. That doesn't mean Thomas Jefferson was a bad person. I'm just saying that's what he was historically. We know this. So this idea comes out of enlightenment, uh, the, the Western Renaissance, enlightenment, right? It, it, it began to uh, reveal the, the natural world and the sciences and all these things. And these are beautiful things. But historically, theology was called the queen of sciences because the fact at the, the bottom of all facts was that there is an intelligent God and there's a, a different world than just pure bone and blood and biology and DNA. There's a natural sphere to reality. There's a supernatural sphere to reality. And they're not, they're not uh, disconnected. They're connected. And God is involved and he moves and he speaks and he's, he cares about what you do on a daily basis and he cares for you. But we, we are sort of the, the, the grandchildren and great-great-great-grandchildren of the Enlightenment. And, and this is how we think. It's shaped our worldview. And so um, we kind of see the supernatural as the, the, the spooky world. And we see that in the real world, you know, what we can experience with our five senses. Um, this is how it's just our intellectual heritage. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. It just is. It's just what, how, what, what it is in our culture. And so what this has done to us theologically is it's given us this idea that there, you know, as Christians, we sort of take on some supernatural ideas. We start to believe in God. Uh, we start to believe in Jesus, that Jesus came down to this planet. But we don't really go far enough because what we do is we sort of try to apply as little of the supernatural world to the natural world as we can so we don't sort of offend our American Western Enlightenment intellectual model. Is everybody bored to death yet or are you okay? 
You okay? All right, let's keep going. And so what that, elite, what that leads us to do theologically is it sort of is a poison pill that goes into our belief about God. And how we see God is he's just up there and he's sort of God of the heavens and God of the stars and he makes sure that Jupiter does its thing and Saturn does its thing and all the Andromeda galaxy stays in Andromeda and so on and so forth. And we sort of think about God in charge of the big and God involved with the big stuff and the macro level and, and and, and sometimes we dare to pray that he would give us a parking spot or bless our food that we're about to eat. But really, we kind of leave God in that sort of deistic, yeah, there's a God, but he's just sort of out there. He's big and he's kind of away from us. Biblically, though, we see a very different God. Biblically, we see a God who is personally involved and invested and in the mix with his people. This is most seen in the person of Jesus Christ, where he is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Whether you like this about God or you don't like this about God, if you want to be a biblical Christian, you have to accept this view of God. That doesn't mean God is so far away, he actually is close to us, which I love when I'm in in fear or pain. I hate when I want to sin. Come on. Don't you wish God was just the watchmaker God, the God of Thomas Jefferson who didn't speak, didn't get involved, was just a passive observer when you wanted to be naughty? It only happens to me every day, okay? You know? But when I'm shaking and I'm afraid and there's a lion at the door and the wolves are around me and the Schmelzer's homeschool balloon is going over the country and I'm nervous and I'm pretty grateful that we have a God that is Emmanuel, God with us, who, yes, is transcendent, who is holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. He's God of the heavens, majestic, beautiful, God of the universe, but he's eminent. He's present. He's with me. He's not cold and disinterested. This is the character and the nature of God that we serve. He's the shepherd. He's personally involved and invested. You see, when Jesus uses the imagery of a shepherd in the New Testament, he says, the shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Why would a shepherd in 2,000 years ago in Judea lay their life down for the sheep? Because if their sheep got eaten, then they don't get to eat. That's their livelihood. That is their treasure, that is their income, that is their investment. So when Jesus uses this analogy, when he uses this verbiage and he talks about shepherd and sheep and this relationship, he's describing something that is speaking to his character, that he is personally involved and invested. He cares about you. So the line of this, of this psalm that says, the Lord is my shepherd, is expressing a personal, invested, involved relationship. Number two, I have all that I need. You know, in the context of hearing God's voice and walking in relationship with him, we need to understand something. We aren't lacking. When you follow the shepherd, your needs will be met. How many of you know there's a big difference between what we want and what we need? And if you have children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, I got my daughter Evie here on the front row, and she's starting to develop a really educated palate on food. Mom makes good food, doesn't she? Yes. Just shake your head. Yes. and Yes. Yeah, there you go. Evie and I love mom's orzo chicken pasta. Come on, testify. My wife is an incredible cook. She made this week, oh my gosh, you guys, I'm going to make you jealous. I know this is a second service. Let's just talk about food. Let's just do it. She made us this orzo chicken pasta. It's like a cream sauce, the orzo, roasted chicken. It's got roasted red uh, or sun-dried tomatoes in there. It's got spinach. It is so good. Cooks it up in that cast iron. It comes out boiling hot. It is dynamite. 
Evie and I love it to death. Jack and Penelope, they're not quite on the level. They're at the mac and cheese and hot dog level of culinary experience. You know what I mean? You talk about, I mean, I like a good Costco dog like the next guy. You know what I mean? Anybody else? That's good, right? Buck 50, it's good stuff. My kids are kind of pumped about that. I mean, Evie and I are like, no, orzo chicken. Bethany, this week, she did these steak bites with this curry cream sauce, and uh, it had like uh, sweet potatoes. It was dynamite, all really good stuff. We get to the dinner table, and my kids, you know, some of them, not Evie, but the other ones, uh, they're like, oh, you know, I don't like this food or whatever. And of course, that draws the wrath of dad, you know, like, you're going to like it. I mean, I was raised in the 80s. You just, you don't like it, you don't eat. You know what I'm saying? I'm a millennial parent, so we work with our kids. Now we've taught our kids how to be rude in a polite way. So our children will say, I don't prefer this. Well, I don't prefer to pay the mortgage, but we all have things that we need to do. The reality is their needs are met. Dinner is on the table. Whether you prefer it or not, it's not a position of lack. It's an area of desire. I want something different. And here's the deal. How many times in our asking God, tell me what to do, where do I go? we're, We're in a position where we're acting like we're starving to death, we're lacking, that he hasn't met our needs, and we're waiting for him to answer. And he's going, you have what you need. I have provided for you. Maybe exercise some patience so your character grows. Maybe be thankful for what you do have rather than always consumed with what you don't. I have all that I need. Number three, it says, he leads me to peace and rest. You know, in Hebrew, the verb that we see here for this Uh, for this leading us beside the still waters, I was actually interested to find that it's one word. It's this verb, nahal, and it means to lead or guide to a watering place, to bring to a place of rest. And here's a beautiful thing about God is he actually knows what your heart wants on the other side of your question even better than you do. You see, many people are going, what should I do? Should Should I go left? Should I go right? Make this decision, move to this place? And what our heart is longing for is a place of peace and rest in the middle of chaos, in the middle of our own storms in our mind and so on and so forth. And our shepherd is so good that he's, he knows how to get us to that place of fulfillment, satisfaction. You know, in Israel, uh, it's a very rocky wilderness kind of place, a lot of desert. And Bethany was reading about this or had heard a message about this, and it was fascinating. They said, the shepherds will take their sheep and where it says, they make, he makes me lie down in green pastures. They actually have to make the sheep, whether they want to or not, they have to kind of park them in the place where there's nourishment because the shepherd knows on the next leg of the journey, there won't be. And so there's something about the leading of God that oftentimes as we're praying for guidance and we're going, hey, open this door. And he's going, I'm not going to open that door. And we go, I want you to. He says, you have what you need. I want you to lie down. I've led you to a place of rest. I will provide peace for your soul. Do you trust me? It says that he renews my strength. You know, the journey of life causes us to get weary, to get thorns in our little sheep hooves. Our little sheepdog, uh, she's not a sheepdog, she's a labradoodle, but uh, Cricket, you know, she ran out into the yard today and she came in with a a rose bush attached to her leg or something, stuck in her, her hair. And we had to help get it out. This is what happens in life as we go about our journey you know, we're bump, playing bumper cars with other people in life and we get tired, we get cynical, we get jaded and the Lord brings rest and refreshment and his guidance literally improves the quality of our life as we submit to his shepherding. Number five, he guides me directly. I go by this little rule in life. I have these uh, 
this idea about what I call the guardrails of guidance. You know, when you drive down I-5, we go to Medford a lot to see family, and you drive down I-5 and you'll look where on a curve there's a big dent in the guardrail. And how many of you know that meant something bad happened right there, you know? Somebody had a really bad day, but they didn't have that as bad of a day as they could have had that guardrail not been there because that stopped them from something worse. I had a buddy, I was in a band uh, in college in, in late high school and uh, we let him drive one time. He was the bass player. Just a heads up, don't let bass players drive. We're all asleep, you know, coming back from a concert in Seattle, trying to get back to Medford. And all of a sudden we wake up to... We lurch out of sleep, Alex! And he had, he like jerked up and acted like, what, what? I wasn't asleep, you know? I was grateful for those sound things on the side of the road. When I think about taking this journey of life, I think about two guardrails. The first guardrail is the guardrail of principle. This is God's word, the Bible. God spoke once and for all. It's settled. He's not changing it. God isn't continuing to write the Bible. That is finished. It is final. It is, it is faithful. And we need to live our lives on the guideline with that guardrail of principle where if we begin to get close to the word of God and we're like, well, I want to go this direction. And God's word says, that's not the way to live. This is not what is good. This isn't how God has designed you. Regardless of how you feel, all you're going to be doing if you try to violate God's word and violate principle is smashing into the guardrail. On the other side of that road is the, the other guardrail, the guardrail of the prophetic. You know, we believe that God, though he spoke once and for all in his word, he also speaks, he's alive and he's dynamic and interactive. He speaks to us prophetically. In other words, giving specific guidance in the here and the now. I'm standing on this stage today speaking to you with the opportunity to serve God in Lane County because of prophetic words. Because that in my life as I'm following principle and I'm going with God and I'm on that journey of following Jesus, that God spoke through wise men and wise women and he spoke through, uh, he spoke through other people. He spoke through visions and dreams. He spoke prophetically and led and guided my steps to this moment. We are in this building together because God spoke prophetically about us getting this building. God gave us a vision uh, of, if you remember this, in 2018, I got up in front of the church in December and I said, we want a building. Uh, we're believing God for it. It's going to be in the middle of town. It's going to have high enough ceilings so we can build an indoor playground. Anybody in the church at that point? Go back. We got receipts. It's on YouTube. You can go find the message. We didn't even know about this place. A few weeks later, driving through, uh, I, Bethany and I were watching a movie, see the sign, not like a heavenly sign, it was a real estate sign. And it said, building for sale. And we called and boom, here we go, right? The rest is history, moving on. But there's prophetic guidance, these guardrails that keep us in line moving down the, the road of life. But here's one of the things I want to say. Oftentimes we really want that prophetic guidance. I want God to speak to me. I want God to tell me who to marry. I want God to tell me what to do with my life. I want God to tell me where to work. I want God to tell me uh, what do you want, what color shoes he wants me to wear today. Whatever we want God to tell us. But here's something I want to just share with you. If you ignore principle or if you reject principle or if you dishonor principle, don't expect prophetic to be guiding you. You see, it's when we are dedicated to the word of God, that first guardrail of the principle following the word, a person of truth. I care about what God says in his word. I'm going to honor him with my life on the principle first. That's where you open yourself up to prophetic guidance. But a lot of people want the prophetic without the other guardrail. It doesn't work. But he does guide us. He leads us in our life. 
The verse goes on. It says, he's close beside me, even in the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death. One of the greatest things about the guidance of God isn't necessarily when he tells you where to go. It's that he's with you on the journey wherever you're going. You see, God works through even our own decisions. He works through even our own uh, ideas and things. He's, sometimes God, the answer to the question of what should I do is, what do you want to do, Jake? Did you know that? That's often it. I once heard God's will described this way. Some people think God's will is just so specific that it's everything that he, he'll tell you, you know, wear this color shoes and you need to eat McDonald's today, not Burger King. I don't believe that. Um, I think God's will is rather broad in the sense that He's laid out his will through the scriptures and the principle of what he wants us to do. We have a moral, ethical, philosophical, religious framework to operate by right there, okay? In the context of that, he will give us specific guidance, but on a lot of those decisions, he's partnering with what you want to do. Dallas Willard described it this way. He said, God's will functions a lot like a father with children who says, dad, can we go play in the backyard? And the dad says, yes, just don't leave the backyard. Whether the children are out there on the swing or in the sandbox or playing fetch with the dog, The father is happy. They're in his will. It's when they transgress the barriers of his will where there's a problem or an issue. Hopefully that helps you out today. But God will guide you and he's with you even as you are living and operating and as he's raised you up to be that son or daughter and even he's working with some of the decisions that you've made and asking you what you want to do and you're doing those things. Maybe building a business, maybe doing ministry, whatever it is God's called you to do. He's with us when the journey gets hard even in the valley of the shadow of death. It's it's beautiful. And last, his rod and his staff protect and comfort. Sometimes we yell at God and we're like, "I, I can't hear you. And if we would tune our ear, what we would hear is the sound of that rod whooshing through the air as it connected with the wolf's jaw that was just about to get you. And we would, if we were sensitive, we'd feel and recognize that even throughout the days of our life, there was a rod and a staff The shepherd's staff was that hooked thing that he was using to go, not that way. You see, just because you didn't perceive the leading and the guiding of God didn't reduce his faithfulness or his goodness or his presence in your life. You just might not have perceived it. And being sensitive to the Spirit, trusting in him. As we finish today, I want to make three statements and we'll, we'll end. Number one, guidance comes in the context of trust. God guides us. We need to trust him. Don't live your life with this silent accusation against the character of God because you, per- you perceive that he's not speaking to you. He is speaking. You're in the flock. He's the shepherd. You, you will hear his voice. But guidance comes in the context of trust. Do you trust he loves you? Do you trust he's for you? Do you trust that he is speaking? Number two, guidance comes in the context of truth. Please don't fall into this trap expecting God to change his mind for you personally because you were born in the 21st century. I mean, this is literally like the root of all of our problems as a society. We want a custom version of Christianity. Unfortunately, this isn't Burger King, and you don't get to have it your way. Sorry. Well, I was born this way. You probably were. Uh, You know, there's people that are born liars, born, born thieves, born whatever. We're all born as sinners, and we all have to go to the cross with Jesus and say, let me live with you. Change me. Make me new. There's no judgment, but let's not change the truth. Amen? Guidance comes in the context of truth. Number three, guidance comes in the context of relationship. Remember, your aims and God's aims are not the same. You want a better life. He wants you to have a better life or a good life, but what he cares about more is you have a godly life because he wants you to be who he created you to be. 
He wants you to look like Jesus Christ. He wants to form that Christ-like character in you. And so we have to ask, do I desire fellowship with God, relationship with God above the answer to my questions? If God says stop, do I stop and trust? If God says let's go, do I go and believe and trust that he's leading me along? C.S. Lewis said, he that has God and everything else has no more than he that has God alone. The relationship, the, the, the proximity, the nearness to God is the prize. What, what is God going to give you greater than himself? It's the essence of like the, the, the idea of worship is that we would find the pearl of great price, that thing that is worth laying our entire life down for. So many times in life I just am pursuing money or I'm pursuing other things and, and I have to stop myself and go, I already have the thing. Like my relationship with Jesus is the pearl. Psalm 27, 7, hear, hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. This is like where our prayer of guidance should be. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Relationship in that context is where God, we hear his voice, we're his sheep, and he guides us in the ways of our life. Amen? Would you bow your head and close your eyes today? You know, if you're here today, say, Pastor Jake, uh, I, I need a relationship with Jesus. I haven't put my faith and trust in him. Uh, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Guess what? You're invited to be a sheep today. You're invited to be one of the flock. You're invited to be part of the family of God. Man, I love the fact that I'm not a lion. It's a little embarrassing. I wish I was. It'd be cooler. But you know what I love is when I'm in trouble, there's a shepherd with an awesome rod and staff. I have a savior that died for my sins. He is the superhero. And, and he, he came to save me. He came to save you. He makes a way for us to have a relationship with God. So what we do here at Joy Church every Sunday is we give an opportunity to start your journey of following Jesus. Becoming a Christian is not a moment. It's like a moment that leads to momentum. It's a moment that leads into a life of following Jesus and a life of receiving God's love and his grace on your life. He's going to lead you on the journey of a lifetime. And so if you're here today and you say, Pastor Jake, I need to repent of my sin. I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to put my faith in him. Would you raise your hand so I can see? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Awesome. Awesome. Come on, anybody else? Thank you so much. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. People all over the room, so cool, making that decision to follow Jesus. That's beautiful. Well done. Good job. I'm proud of you. You're awesome. God is with you. Come on. That's so cool. Anybody else? Real quick. I want to put my faith in Jesus. Amen. Thank you. That is awesome. Thank you so much. So cool. I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ. So cool. I see you. Thank you. That's awesome. 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 All right, let's pray this prayer together. And then Kayla's going to tell you how to get some more information and take some next steps. Because remember, it's not just a moment. We don't just pray a prayer. Oh, Jesus, save me. It's a, it's a journey. You're starting a journey of walking with Jesus. Okay, let's pray this prayer together. We're all going to pray. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I've fallen short of your standard. But I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be right with you. I give you my life, put my faith and trust in you. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's rejoice. Awesome.